Hello and welcome to Here's Johnny's Reviews, part 2 of Festive Fights with my look at 1990's Die Hard 2, the sequel to everyone's favourite non-Christmas Christmas movie, Die Hard. Is this something that hardly ever happens, a sequel that is better than the original? I can only think of a handful of movies that do so, such as Aliens, Tensor 2 and Dark Knight. Before we move on to the movie itself, I want to talk about the piss poor Blu-ray set again. I hate it when movies on Blu-ray play straight into the movie, and then you have to figure out which button to press on the remote to get to your special features. Wasn't this the whole point of DVDs and, and Blu-rays? Was it was supposed to be a crisp, clear viewing experience as a director hoped for, and to have chock full of special features, with these Fox skimmed on them, and we only have a very few, very 90s, short segments and a handful of trailers. Weak! Anyway, with that, I best jump into the movie. But beforehand, one little more thing. This thing was based on a book, 58 Minutes by Walter Wager. Starring Bruce Willis, Bonnie Bedelia, William Sadler, John Amos, Dennis Franz and original Val Johnson, directed by Rennie Harlan. The plot, on Christmas Eve, one year after the event of Nakatomi Plaza, John McClane is in the wrong place at the wrong time yet again. As this time his wife's plane is being held hostage as well as a dozen others, by an elite squad of terrorists that take over Dulles International Airport, trying to get their leader back. Can McLean stop them and get his wife safe on the ground, or will she go down in flames on the White House lawn? The movie opens up on John McLean's car getting towed, played once again by Bruce Willis, by a little Hitler, Carmine Lorenzo, played by Dennis Franz of NYPD Blue fame. On Christmas Eve, as McLean pleads his case to disinterested Carmine, the car gets towed away. It's also here we find out that he is now an LAPD cop and is now a lieutenant, not a detective. He has left New York and he is with Holly in Los Angeles. So McLean's bleeper goes off, so he walks into the airport and we see reason for this movie on TV that General Esbenaza, played by Franco Nero, the original Django, is getting flown in from a made-up South American country, Valverde, the same place that is used in Commando, the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie from 1985. We then introduced to the main villain of the movie, Colonel Stewart, played by William Sadler, of dozens of movies including The Great Machete Kills, and a recurring role in the Marvel Universe as President Ellis, doing naked chai Tai Chi, for some reason which is never actually explained, which was shot at the last minute according to the director's commentary or behind the scenes stuff I can remember where I got information from, as Sandler wanted to get into shape. Leaving his hotel room carrying a Christmas present, Stuart is joined by his men. Also carrying Christmas presents, spot Robert Patrick as O'Reilly, making him one of only two actors to appear in both this and the Tinder franchise, the other being Jai Courtney. As it all matched into a lift, that miraculously fits 25 plus men. Some size of bloody left that is. Was it time or technology? My lord. Finally getting to a phone after his bleeper goes off yet again. For my younger listeners, a bleeper was something you wore on your body, usually around your belt, that would bleep you a short message telling you to call a certain number. Thankfully, they died out when Boyogs took over. So he calls and finds that it's Holly, once again played by Bonnie Bedelia. As she explained, she'll be 30 minutes late on an airplane phone, which must have cost a bloody fortune back in 1990, but much to the shock of McLean. Note, McLean in this hates technology. Also note, the old woman sitting next to Holly 
is reading a magazine with a lethal weapon to add in it, as this is from the same producer of both franchises, which according to IMB. Also, Willis was offered the role of Riggs, but turned it down, just as Gibson was offered the role of McLean, but turned that one down. Something of an interesting franchise switch around, I wonder if that would have worked. As McLean walks away after hanging up, he bumps into Stuart. This is one of only two times Sadler and Willis are on the screen at the same time. As he marches through the airport, cut to a small church just outside the airport's boundaries. As two of Stuart's men quickly go down the old priest and take over sitting equipment that they need to take over the airport. McLean notices some suspicious behaviour from Stuart's men, so McLean tries to report this but ends up talking to Carmine so it doesn't bother. Meanwhile, news reporter Sam Coleman, played by Sheila McCarthy, bumps into Colonel Stewart and asks for an interview, but he gives her the two-word brush-off. Stalking Stewart's men, McLean notices one going into baggage to plant a bomb, which leads to a sh shootout, leading to McLean losing his gun and resorting to a golf club to take out one of the terrorists, as the other one takes pot shots from the rafters. During the fight, it leads to one of them getting his head crushed by a baggage packer. I remember here, this thing's actually real a conveyor belt with the what looks like a giant roller pin squishing down the bags and this thing's real okay then and the other one gets away as McLean gets arrested by the Annette airport police on Holly's plane wouldn't you know it Thornburg played again by William Arterton is on this one too after giving the air stewardesses hassle he gets put in this place and it's here he finally sees a mere, a mere foot away from Holly how the fuck is this possible? He's flying from Los Angeles to Washington and they say in the movie this is a four hour flight, yet he noticed this for the very first time. Yeah, this guy's a great newspaper, you know, newsman, reporter type person. And he also explains to the air stewards that he cannot be more than 50 yards from her as he knocked out, sorry, she knocked out two of his teeth in the punch a year earlier. Yeah, that was some punch because it was a barely hit moving on, leading to Hall getting free champagne from the rest of the fight. Back in the airport, McLean gets his gun and badge back, leading to McLean going nuts at the near useless airport police's sloppy handling of the dead terrorist body. Meanwhile, at the church, the one that got away tells Colonel Stewart about McLean and losing his friend, only for Stewart to pull out a gun, hold it at his head and pull the trigger. Luckily, it was an empty chamber. So this guy's a bloody sociopath then. Yay. At the airport, McLean is taken to the Little Napoleon, office aka Carmine and we find that he is the chief of police. McLean points out just how useless he is telling them to seal off the crime scene and not having hundreds of people traipsing through there and that the scene wasn't just some guy stealing bags. But of course Carmine doesn't listen and throws him out. What a little arsehole he this guy is. How the fuck Dennis Franz got this role beyond me because he was in what? Hill Street Blues which was cancelled three years earlier so why the fuck did he get given this role is beyond me. Note, all of McLean's one-liners were ad-libbed by Willis, whereas in Die Hard 1 they were scripted for Schwarzenegger, because this is supposed to be a Schwarzenegger movie, I believe it's supposed to be a sequel to Commando, but he rejected the script and it was handed on to Willis. So being thrown out of the useless captain's office, he takes the fingerprints of the guy he killed and faxes it to Al Powell, played once again by original Val Johnson, the fourth and final person to return from Die Hard. In Airport Traffic Control, we meet Trudeau, played by Fred Dalton Thompson, and his assistant Barnes, played by Art Evans. As we find out, there's not one, but two Stormfronts heading into the airport, and Barnes begs for 
intruder to give him time for his men to clear off the runways as the snowbirds be ridiculously heavy. Even though through the movie there's hardly any bloody snow, but hey ho, moving on. Sergeant Powell gets back to McLean, saying the guy he killed officially died two years earlier, and this smells of a Black Ops cover-up. Back at air traffic control, Carmine is bitching about McLean just as McLean walks in telling Trudeau about the terrorists, which of course Carmine doesn't listen. Back at the church, Colonel Stewart finally takes over the airport by first shutting down the runways and then jamming the airport systems. Much to the surprise of Trudeau and McLean, Colonel Stewart calls the air traffic control room with his demand that General Esbenaz's plane to be diverted and a fully fueled 747 to be waiting or planes will drop. Barnes comes up with a plan to use an unfinished terminal to warn the planes. Just as McLean gets thrown out of the control room, in walks Sam Coleman, talking about the rumours that something is amiss at the airport. So both are thrown out, with McLean escaping the elevator's escape hatch, leading to the quote of the movie, another basement, another elevator. How can the same shit happen to the same guy twice? The basement leads to a shack, owned by Marvin, played by Tom Bauer, the janitor who gives McLean a blueprint to the airport and tells him where the unfinished terminal is. Just then, Barnes puts his plan into action and he is joined by Carmine's SWAT team. Once McLean has the blueprints, he makes his way there via air ducts to help Barnes as he feels it's a trap. As Barnes arrives, the SWAT team is quickly taken out by Colonel Schultz's men. As Barnes hides, he's caught by Robert Patrick, but quickly killed by McLean, who then gets in a gunfight and kills all his men in a matter of minutes. Just then, the whole reason why they went there was the antenna which blows up. In the air, Thornburg notices that planes are circling and then proceeds to bug Holly about this. Meanwhile, at the church, Stuart's men find out the antenna team are dead, leading to McLean getting on or sorry, getting one of their radios, which Barnes points out is next and useless because it has a scramble on it and he needs a code. Stuart calls the air traffic control room and threatens them with that idiot Carmine giving away its McLean, leading to him and McLean having out on the phone. Then Stuart crashes one of the planes as punishment. This leads to McLean trying in vain to stop this as the plane crashes, killing all on board, all 363 people, including Captain Colin Meany of Star Trek fame. Note, most of the airport and runway in this thing is models to cut down the cost. Trudeau tells a shell-shocked McLean they called in the government and they're sending in a task force. Also, Holly's plane has 90 minutes of fuel left in it. In the air, in Holly's plane, Thornburg learns something is up with air traffic control. Meanwhile, the task force arrives led by Major Grant, played by John Amos. As McLean points out, Colonel Schurt was one of his men. In air traffic control, Barnes looked off yet another plan to make the outer marker of the airport a radio signal then warn the 13 employees stuck in the air about the terrorists. One of the task force men find the radio transmitter planted earlier on in the movie, which I thought was a bomb, and remove it, which means they no longer can hack into the air traffic control room, but yet still have the ability to do so. Plot hole. Barnes gets on the radio to warn the planes, and Thornburg hears this and records it. McLean goes back to Marv to get into the pilot's briefing room. It's also here McLean picks up one of the unlocked radios. Colonel Stewart finds out about the military plane is heading in, so takes over the tower again and gives the plane new headings, just as the general has escaped his chains and holds the pilot at gunpoint. Unfortunately, the co-pilot grabs a gun and is shot, leading to the cockpit being depressurized after getting a window blown out during the shootout. 
So he kills the pilot and radios in Colonel Shaw for help. Bullshit, he would be stone fucking dead. He's 13,000 plus feet up and it's supposed to be really heavy snowfall. He'd be freezing to fucking death in nanoseconds if not sucked out. Another plot hole, but moving on. Which McLean overhears runs to the runway via underground tunnels. Note, most of the snow on this is fake. It's either ice chunks cut up, plastic, soap or potato flakes, which apparently made the set smell of jacket potatoes. Leading to McLean getting almost run over by a Hercules plane, which McLean boards just as Colonel Stewart and his men show up. Note, Colonel Stewart's men have a red tape on their gun magazines, meaning live rounds, whereas Major Grant's men has blue tapes, meaning firing blanks. McLean shoots a general, has a gunfight with Stewart's men, leading to McLean hiding in the cockpit, just as Stewart guns down the cockpit, then throws in grenades, leaving McLean no choice but to use the eject seat to escape. With McLean floating down, to the ground, Stuart runs off and heading back to the church. One thing, they all have guns, why aren't they taking pot shots at McLean? He's just floating there slowly, but nope, they just jump in their cars and run off. Back in the air, on Holly's plane, Thornburg calls the TV station to report the terrorists, so Holly stuns him using his stun gun of the old lady sitting next to her. God, times have changed nowadays, you can't even get a bottle of water on a plane, but back then you can get a bloody old stun gun. McLean turns to the airport to get patched up, leaving him and Carmine to have it out yet again, also for Major Grant to chew him out. However, Barnes points out just how fast Stuart showed up, meaning they were clothes by. After a quick search of the neighbourhood, which could have been done fucking hours earlier, McLean and Barnes find a church just on the outskirts of the bloody runways. It's well done that man. Just as McLean tries to sneak up on one of Stuart's men, Holly pages him, so he gets his ass beat as Barnes calls in the task force. As the police and task force head to the church, it's here we find out Major Grant is in on it too, as he has blue magazines on his guns. McLean kills a century with an icicle to the eye. Just as Major Grant surrounds the church, McLean shows up to be given yet more grief by Carmine, who is quickly shut up and told to get lost by Colonel Grant. One of the task force men trips a tripwire, leading Stuart's men enough time to change the magazines from blue to from red to blue in their guns. As a shootout happens, the only one with real bullets is McLean. Stuart leaves the church booby-trapped and escapes on snowmobiles. McLean takes out two more men and jumps on a snowmobile to chase the others. Major Grant tells his men to pull out of the church as it has enough C4 to blow into next week on every single computer. With McLean giving chase, Stuart gets one of his men to face off with him as he changes the magazines to red and shoots at McLean's snowmobile as it explodes in midair. With Stuart thinking he's dead, they run off. It's here McLean finds out the task force were shooting blanks. Back at the church, Major Grant takes over by sending Carmine's men to the airport after chatting quickly on the radio to Colonel Stuart keeping up the charade. En route to the hangar, Colonel Grant, sorry, Major Grant slits the throat of the new guy on his team and then radios in Colonel Stuart. On the TV, Thornburg's news breaks causing a panic at the airport just as McLean shows up telling Carmine about the blanks, which of course he doesn't listen to, until McLean shoots him with the bullets. Outside, after the chaos at the airport, McLean uses Coleman's helicopter to get to the hangar, leading to McLean and Major Grant having a fist fight on the wing of the 747, which according to the behind the scenes, Willis did himself. Which of course McLean wins and throws Major Grant into the plane's engine, 
which doesn't stall the engine or blow up, which is bullshit because if a small bird can do that, a fucking full-grown man could've. So out goes Colonel Stewart to kill him using a knife as he can't fire his gun because there's fuel on the wing. In the wing, rather. As McLean opens up the plane's fuel line, this is the only other time Willis and Sandler are on screen together. McLean gets his ass kicked, but not before pulling out the fuel line, which McLean sets alight, blowing up the plane in midair, giving Holly's plane a runway to land on just in time as they're under fuel. As Holly's plane lands, so do the other 12, with EMTs surrounding the planes and McLean yelling like a madman, he and Holly finally meet up. As Coleman's cameraman films their reunion, only for her to stop this, unlike Thornburg did in the earlier movie, in Die Hard, rather. Marv shows up on a golf cart and carts McLean and Holly off, just as Carmine rips up the ticket from the Saturday movie as credits roll. So that was Die Hard 2 Die Harder. Just as good as the original Die Hard, which I said earlier is rare. However, in seeing that, this thing has plot holes galore, but moving on. I suppose this is, this is a bit different definition of a sequel. Great action, and a storyline that holds its pace unlike Die Hard. I say give this a watch after Die Hard for the perfect non-Christmas movie, Christmas movie duo. Followed by a Christmas horror, Black Christmas maybe? 7 out of 10? So come back next week for my look at Little Open 1, and then the following week for Batman Returns and Black Christmas 2006. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Here's Johnny's Pod, all lowercase, and email me move suggestions to Here's Johnny's Reviews at gmail.com, again all lowercase. Also, follow me on SoundCloud and check out my other podcasts, such as the Gremlins franchise, The Psycho, Omen, James Bond, and Ghoulies franchise, as well as my look at Spring Moon. Super, uh, superhero movies such as Batman v Superman, Deadpool and X-Men Apocalypse. January, I'm going to do the Resident Evil franchise. Now, if you excuse me, I'm off to pop some corn and roast some chestnuts on open fire and I buy...